Welcome to everyone to the first hearing of the subcommittee on East Asia, the Pacific and international cybersecurity policy in the 117th Congress. Uh, I want to expand, extend a special thanks to Senator Mitt Romney for taking on the ranking member role of this uh, subcommittee. Uh, he and I have had a long working relationship going back to uh, the state of Massachusetts, and I'm really looking forward to uh, partnering with him over the next couple of years. Um, Senator Cory Gardner and I had a great working relationship on this subcommittee during our four-year partnership, and I look forward to uh, working with you, Senator Romney, as we take on the challenges and the opportunities in this region. Uh, as we chart our course for our subcommittee business, I intend to take on the fundamental issues of our time, including climate change, the proliferation of nuclear weapons, uh, the undermining of democracy and human rights, and the authoritarian challenge posed by China to the United States, the Indo-Pacific, and the world. I intend to bolster our support uh, for United States allies and find avenues for greater cooperation and U.S. investment uh, in the region uh, so that we can face uh, this set of issues uh, with, a, with a bipartisan uh, approach uh, because we are ultimately, even in an area like this in our first hearing, we're faced increasingly with an aggressive posture from Beijing uh, as we are with uh, so many other issues. Uh, we will reinforce and build on what we accomplished with the landmark Asia Reassurance Initiative Act introduced and passed into law by me and Senator Gardner in 2018. And I look forward to partnering with Senator Romney and the rest of our colleagues on the subcommittee as we tackle these challenges. Today, we turn our focus to one of the greatest crises in the Indo-Pacific, the situation in Burma. And we will discuss the United States response to the coup carried out by the Burmese military against the democratically elected government on February 1st of this year. It is my hope that we can coalesce around further concrete actions the United States government can take to help alleviate the suffering of the people of Burma and demonstrate to the Burmese military leadership that this brazen and violent assault on democracy will not succeed. The coup carried out by the Burmese military has sparked widespread civilian outrage inside Burma, leading to sweeping peaceful protests and strikes. The military, also known as the Tatmadaw, has met these peaceful civilians with extreme violence and inhumanity, killing an estimated 250 people since February 1st and detaining thousands more. They have specifically targeted journalists and shut down internet communications in an attempt to keep their violations from the world. If that, if <clears throat> in that, they have not succeeded. The brutality of the military comes in sharp contrast to the bravery of protesters uh, like 19-year-old Kial Sin, nicknamed Angel. She led fellow peaceful demonstrators in a chant of unity when police forces gunned her down. Her final act on this planet was one of selfless service, opening a water pipe so her fellow protesters who had just been tear gassed could wash their eyes and asking a friend to duck and cover as shots rang out. The Biden administration's response to the coup was swift and I applaud their attention to this crisis. 
Uh, President Biden signed an executive order on February 10th, allowing the Departments of State and Treasury to impose targeted sanctions against the military leaders and their business holdings, and have announced additional designations this week, including an announcement this morning that they will be targeting two of the military's largest holdings, uh, the Myanmar uh, Economic uh, Corporation uh, and uh, its Economic Holdings Limited uh, Corporation. This is a big step, and I thank the administration for taking it. Uh, other like-minded countries have imposed targeted sanctions, including the European Union. But more must be done to deny uh, the Army its economic lifeline and to deny it the weapons of war. Uh, the United States should play a leading role in urging our partners and allies, including uh, members of ASEAN, to take steps to cut off funding for the military. And we should work to ensure that American and other foreign companies are not engaged in activities that benefit the Army. Unfortunately, the recent brutality of the Army is all too familiar. In 2017, many of the same military leaders who orchestrated the February coup oversaw atrocities against the Rohingya ethnic minority with human rights violations ranging from systemic gang rape and extrajudicial killings to forced displacement of more than 1 million Rohingya. United Nations investigators have characterized the systemic campaign to wipe out the Rohingya in Burma by its rightful name, genocide. I have repeatedly called on the United States government to do the same. And I wanna thank all of you for being here today for this important hearing. And I look forward to the witness testimony. Uh, and now I'd like to turn and uh, recognize the ranking member, uh, Senator Romney for his opening statement. Senator Romney, you're on mute. There we go. I was off mute. I'm on it again, but thank you. Uh, I want to thank uh, Chairman Markey uh, for uh, convening this hearing and for inviting me to participate. This, uh, this first hearing of the subcommittee on the United States policy responses towards Burma uh, comes in the light of the recent military coup against a democratically elected government. And I want to recognize our four witnesses who have graciously agreed to join us today. I want to thank each of you for your service, and we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, in recent years, the Burmese military conducted a campaign of violence against the Rohingya people, murdering thousands, committing widespread sexual violence, destroying homes. More than three quarters of a million Rohingya have fled in the last five years to live in refugee camps. Some 3,300 were murdered. On February 1st of this year, as you know, the uh, Burmese military leaders directed a coup, removed the government that had been democratically elected in November 2020. Uh, they have since killed 260 people and detained 2,200 citizens, including some 750 students. In response, the Biden administration has imposed targeted sanctions against Burma's military leaders, including sanctions just announced today, and it has pledged to support Burmese civil society and humanitarian efforts. Of course, the political situation in Burma is reaching a boiling point. People are protesting. The opposition has been silenced. The military junta seems set on escalating the situation further. And of course, this risk of more murders, 
more refugees, and even civil conflict. And the risk of all these things grows by the day. The United States stands with the people of Burma in their fight for democracy and freedom, and we condemn the violence against them. But we must also lead an international effort to expand and strengthen the sanctions and the embargoes. And we must call upon China to join this effort or to suffer the public exposure of callous disregard for the plight of humanity. I look forward today to hearing from the witnesses on the current conditions in Burma, including the risks of the conflict's escalation, China's role in this crisis, and what steps the United States can take from this point forward to support the people of Burma. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. With that, I turn back to you. Thank you, thank you, Senator Romney. And now we'll turn to our panel. Um, our first witness is Ambassador uh, Atul um, uh, Kashup, who is a Korea Senior Foreign Service Officer serving as the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for the Bureau of East Asian and Pacific Affairs uh, throughout his 25-year career. Uh, the ambassador has served uh, around the world. He previously served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for South Asia uh, as the U.S. Senior Official for Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation. Uh, and prior to his current assignment, uh, he has served at the uh, Department of Defense as the National Defense University's Vice Chancellor. Uh, so uh, we welcome you, uh, Ambassador, and uh, whenever you feel uh, comfortable, please begin. Thank you kindly, Senator. I just want to make sure everybody can hear me and see me. Okay, I'm seeing nods. Fantastic. Uh, Mr. Chair, Ranking Member, Senator Romney, members of the committee, thank you very much for your time and attention today. And I'm grateful to you for the opportunity to speak uh, about the very tragic and deeply regrettable uh, events in Burma as a result of the military coup. I also want to thank you, Mr. Chair, and the members of this committee for their steadfast support uh, in this regard and in many other things. I agree, I agree entirely with you, Mr. Chair, that the United States should play a leading role in responding to this tragedy and this coup. The United States under the Biden-Harris administration has condemned in the strongest possible terms the military coup in Burma, the horrific violence against protesters, and the ongoing detentions of State Councilor Aung San Suu Kyi, President Nguyen Myint, and other democratically elected leaders as well as more than 2,000 civil society actors. We denounced this takeover, which rejects the will of the people of Burma as expressed in November 2020 elections and worsens pre-existing crises, including the ethnic cleansing of Rohingya. For the past eight weeks, the people of Burma have taken to the streets to protest peacefully and voice their aspirations for a return to democracy. We have seen civil servants and medical personnel, Buddhist monks and Catholic nuns, 88 generation activists and young students, trade union leaders, farmers and ethnic community leaders, all uniting in Burma's largest street protests since the 2007 Saffron Revolution and the largest civil disobedience movement since the 1988 uprising. We have seen and witnessed their enormous bravery and their enormous sacrifice in demanding a return to civilian rule. We have also seen, Mr. Chair, the regime's brutal response. Prior to the coup, military leaders had claimed widespread fraud in a meager attempt 
a meager attempt to mask this power grab in some sort of constitutional legitimacy. Since then, Burma's security forces have intensified their violent repression, killing at least 275 people and injuring hundreds of others. We utterly condemn these horrific attacks. Since February 1, the United States has taken swift action to promote accountability for the military regime and support the people of Burma in their efforts to reestablish and safeguard their democracy. First, we have worked to galvanize the international community to exert diplomatic pressure. Through two G7 statements, two United Nations Security Council statements, and many joint and individual statements from partners and allies, we have signaled to the regime that its actions have consequences. We have conveyed to military leaders that they must restore the democratically elected government, cease attacks on peaceful protesters, and release all of those unjustly detained. We are working to maintain the broadest coalition of partners, including ASEAN members. Second, we have taken strong actions to promote, promote accountability. President Biden announced February 10 an executive order that authorizes targeted sanctions in connection with the coup. Since then, we have sanctioned 14 current and former military leaders, two military units, and three military-controlled entities. We also sanctioned Commander-in-Chief Min Ong Wang's two adult children and six entities that they control. And just today, as you referenced, uh, Mr. Chair, we imposed sanctions on the two largest military-owned conglomerates, Myanmar Economic Corporation, MEC, and Myanmar Economic Holdings Limited, MEL, which will directly target the junta's revenue streams and personal fortunes and demonstrates that we will continue to impose costs until the junta removes its stranglehold on democracy. Third, we are working harder than ever to support the people of Burma through temporary protected status. We are also expanding support for Burmese civil society, and we will continue to engage with the committee representing the union parliament, CRPH, the National League for Democracy, ethnic party representatives, civil society representatives, and many others as they work to restore their democracy. We thank the Congress for enabling the United States to be a global leader in responding to the Rohingya crisis. The coup does not change our commitment to those populations. Fourth, I want to commend our embassy team in Rangoon and Ambassador Tom Vida, who have been performing heroically to keep personnel, their dependents, and American citizens informed and safe, including supporting departures of Americans. We are continually assessing the security situation. Finally, Mr. Chair, permit me to say that this is not the Burma of the 80s, 90s, or 2000s. A broad and impressive coalition of civil society actors of all ages, ethnicities, faiths, and regions have united and are pushing back to restore democratic governance. The people have made their voices heard. They will not abide this takeover. To them, I say, we hear your voices. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you so much. Thank you for your uh, testimony. Much appreciated. Um, our second witness on the first panel is Mr. Scott Busby, who is currently serving as the acting principal deputy assistant secretary of state in the Bureau of Democracy, Human Rights and Labor at the Department of State, where in addition to the Bureau's budget and human resources, he oversees the Bureau's work on Africa, East Asia and the Pacific, the Western Hemisphere and the human rights of the LGBTQI uh, persons. Uh, business and human rights and human rights based sanctions. Uh, you, we thank you so much, um, 
Mr. Busby, for being with us. Uh, whenever you're ready, please begin. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, and thank you to members of the committee. Uh, we really appreciate your holding this important hearing to focus attention on the deteriorating human rights situation in Burma in the wake of the February 1st coup. We greatly appreciate the Senate's ongoing concerns about Burma at this critical juncture in the nation and region's history. The military leaders of Burma have brutally sought to remain in charge of Burma's, Burma's future, regardless of the people's will. The pro-democracy protests and peaceful demonstrations of the civil disobedience movement have made it clear that the Burmese people do not want to live in a country where their votes are summarily dismissed, their human rights and fundamental freedoms are not respected, and where the military is free to commit violence against them with impunity. Nor do they want to live in a country, once again, cut off from the world. We are deeply alarmed by the deteriorating environment for civil society, labor unions, and journalists. Since February the 1st, security forces have killed at least 275 people. The Assistance Association for Political Prisoners, a Burma-based organization, has identified over 2,000 persons who have been arrested, charged, or sentenced in relation to opposing the military coup as of March the 15th. We expect those numbers to increase as the military tightens its hold. We are continuing our longstanding support for programs that benefit civil society leaders, activists, and young people, and working to help those most at risk after the coup, including journalists. The administration is also working hard to protect those fleeing the repression. We have engaged with the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, non-governmental organizations, and other governments in the region to provide persons seeking refuge with appropriate protection. We have urged those governments to respect the principle of non-refoulement. We are also providing protections to the people of Burma living in our own country. Earlier this month, the Department of Homeland Security in consultation with the Department of State designated Burma for temporary protected status for 18 months so that Burmese nationals and habitual residents without nationality may remain temporarily in the United States. Organized labor has been instrumental in initiating and sustaining the ongoing democracy movement. In response, the military junta has targeted workers and unions and negated core labor rights and protections. On March the 20th, the United States issued a statement at the most recent session of the ILO governing body condemning the military's actions against trade unionists and workers. The junta is similarly attacking the media. The junta's actions have created a culture of fear among independent news sources throughout the country. We are doing all we can to support independent journalism within Burma. The junta also continues to restrict access to the internet and online communication tools. Days after the coup, for instance, the military ordered internet service providers to block access to Facebook, Wikipedia, Twitter, and Instagram. The department is engaging with these service providers to encourage them to continue their operations to the extent possible, and we are training civil society actors on how to minimize risks in their use of circumvention and other tools. Those who have led the military coup in Burma are many of the same individuals responsible for previous abuses, particularly in ethnic areas and including the horrific atrocities against the Rohingya. 
We believe the safety and security of Burma's ethnic and religious minority communities is a critical part of the larger discussion on the way forward. We remain committed to prov providing accountability for the perpetrators of atrocities against the people of Burma, including the Rohingya. Documentation of ongoing violence and human rights violations against protesters and civil society activists is essential to initiating accountability. As you may recall, in 2019, the Department of State publicly announced senior leaders of, Mil of Burma's military, including the commander in chief and their immediate family members were ineligible for travel to the United States because of their involvement in gross violations of human rights, including those against the Rohingya. The Department of Treasury, Treasury similarly imposed global Magnitsky sanctions on those same leaders. We also continue to support multilateral efforts to promote accountability for those responsible for these atrocities, including through the UN's independent investigative mechanism for Myanmar. As a consequence of Secretary Blinken's decision to re-engage with the UN Human Rights Council, we actively participated in a special session of the Council on Myanmar in February and co-sponsored the resolution that was adopted by the Human Rights Council yesterday, which among other things extends the important mandate of the Special Rapporteur on the Human Rights Situation in Myanmar, Mr. Tom Andrews, who you will hear from later today. The United States also continues to provide humanitarian and development assistance to ethnic and religious minority communities, notably Rohingya communities impacted by ethnic cleansing and other human rights violations. The United States remains the largest supporter of efforts to provide assistance to those affected by the military's ethnic cleansing and other atrocities in Rakhine State since 2016. Again, thank you, Mr. Chair and other members of the subcommittee for holding this hearing on the U.S. response to the coup in Burma. We look forward to working with you, and I'm happy to take your questions. Uh, and now um, uh, we will begin our question and answer period, and uh, we, we will recognize members in order of seniority on the um, subcommittee. So let me begin uh, uh, by uh, just saying to you, um, Mr. Busby, and to Ambassador uh, Kessip, that uh, I've been pleased that the administration has taken strong initial steps to respond to the coup, including an announcement just this morning, as we've said, that you are designating two of the military's largest business holdings, the Myanmar Economic Corporation and the Myanmar Economic Holdings Limited, uh, and the extension of temporary protected status for Burmese citizens living in the United States. I think that's very important. And I also thank the State Department for its recent response to my bipartisan letter on the coup sent with a group of my colleagues in February. Uh, Ambassador Kessler, uh, the response to my letter indicated that the State Department is currently reviewing all assistance to Burma. Can you please describe what specific aid the department is reviewing and what the implications may be as aid is cut off or redirected? Uh, thank you, Senator. I think the the, the philosophy guiding us is essentially that we want to make sure that American uh, aid money uh, benefits the people of Burma, that it strengthens civil society, that it strengthens democracy, uh, and that it doesn't go to the uh, military, it doesn't go to the junta, it doesn't go to the people who have uh, blocked 
the aspirations of the Bernese people. We have uh, redirected $42 million in assistance uh, to ensure that it even more greatly uh, goes toward the people who need help at this time. I think for further details on that, I would defer to the US, uh, USAID, but the, but the essential element here is to make sure that in no way, shape or form do we support anybody who has been backing uh, this junta. And we wanna show a strong uh, signal of support uh, to civil society. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Well, um, let me just uh, follow up then uh, uh, with you, Mr. Busby, when, when um, Secretary Blinken appeared before the full Senate Foreign Relations Committee uh, at his nomination hearing, he committed to me that he would oversee an interagency process to determine whether the crimes committed by the Burmese military against the Rohingya constitute a genocide. Can you please tell us what the status is of that review, including which official and which offices overseeing it, as well as when we can expect a determination? Thank you for that question, uh, Mr. Chair. Uh, the review that Secretary Blinken committed to has begun. Uh, that said, the coup has obviously compelled us to consider and under undertake a wide array of uh, actions. Uh, many of those actions, including the sanctions uh, announced today against Mech and Mel, apply to the same individuals and entities responsible for the atrocities against the Rohingya or for financially supporting those same individuals and entities. Uh, however, we have not forgotten and will not forget the horrific atrocities suffered by the Rohingya and their ongoing plight. I personally have been to Rakhine State and to the refugee camps in Cox's Bazaar, and I heard and saw firsthand what the Rohingya have suffered. We will continue to do our utmost to hold accountable those responsible for that suffering and seek to remedy the injustices they have endured for so long. Uh, so where are, you, where are you in terms of the uh, determination of uh, whether or not what the uh, army has been doing constitutes a genocide? Where are you in that process? Uh, as I mentioned, the process has begun. I can't get into more details than, than that at this point, Mr. Chair, uh, but the secretary is very committed uh, to the review uh, and to this process. Uh, and uh, I think we will have an answer in the not distant future. Uh, yeah, well, as we see an escalation by the uh, army against the uh, people uh, in Burma and uh, that violence is escalating, I think it's more important than ever that the United States calls the crimes committed against the Rohingya, what they are, genocide. So I just want to continue to you know, send that message uh, to the administration. I think it's very important. Um, Ambassador, um, Kashyap, uh, now that targeted U.S. and EU sanctions are in place and with the announcement of the designations of these uh, army-related uh, economic entities, what will be the primary source of ongoing foreign revenue for the military hunter itself? Mr. Chair, that is a uh, extremely complicated, uh, uh, a simple question with an extremely complicated answer that I think occupies a lot of people uh, in the State Department, Treasury Department, and other parts of the executive branch. Uh, we are studying this uh, day by day. We have targeting and sanctions teams that are that are constantly at work, and we're trying to get to the bottom of it. Obviously, uh, the situation in Burma is not exactly transparent. Uh, the military uh, is uh, an extremely secretive organization, and uh, they are able to uh, rely upon 
uh, all sorts of revenues that uh, are not easily tracked, uh, whether it's uh, uh, natural resources or it's drug trafficking or the arms trafficking that occurs in Burma. There are so many things happening that uh, we try our best to uh, track and ascertain. We talk to a very broad uh, cross-section of civil society, and we're constantly at it. Uh, the approach May, here may I ask, can you, can, can, can you focus on the Myanmar oil and gas enterprise? That seems to be a huge source of revenues for them as they interact with international uh, oil companies. Have you, have you looked at that as a, a place where you could stop foreign uh, revenues from going into the country? A great question. Uh, we are studying all of these uh, possibilities, including MOGE, but the issue I think that guides us is the question of whether it mostly impacts the military or if it also has an impact on the people. And so uh, these uh, discussions and deliberations are ongoing. Uh, I'm not in a position to uh, make any announcements at this juncture, but I can assure you, uh, Mr. Chair, that we look at all of these things very, very closely. And there's a, a very careful analysis that's done of all of the various uh, first order, second order, third order uh, ramifications of uh, whatever decisions uh, we might make. Yeah, I, I think that's wise. We don't want to invoke the law of unintended consequences when it comes to um, additional humanitarian uh, damage, which is caused at the same time, especially in the oil and gas area. Uh, I've always found in, in my experience that uh, that's where those cozy relationships um, get very questionable between oil companies internationally and the leaders of countries, especially authoritarian, uh, which is what the army uh, has now created in Burma. So I just think you should look very carefully at that, um, uh, while obviously keeping humanitarian concerns at the top of uh, the top of the agenda. Uh, so let me turn and recognize uh, Senator Romney. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, Ambassador Kashep. Uh, why is it that the uh, that the military decided to take the country back over to execute this coup? I presume it was for personal wealth. Is that true, or are there other uh, motivations you think that led to the to the coup? Senator, it's very hard for me to ascribe uh, motive to the commander in chief. Uh, there are uh, people who have offered various uh, hypotheses about uh, what may have uh, triggered his decision. Uh, whether it was personal ambition or it was preservation of the military's vast and ill-gotten wealth, or if it was a, a mere power play uh, over the democratic uh, leadership and uh, institutions of Burma, or if it was something else entirely. Uh, I'm not sure we will be able to get to a firm answer on that, but what I can tell you is what he decided is absolutely and completely out of step with the aspirations of the Burmese people. And of they course, have let it be course. known. Yeah, of course that's true. Uh, I, I guess the, uh, the the assumption is it's money. Uh, uh, you know, money and power often go together, but but uh, clearly the reason many people want to have power is so they can get the uh, the wealth uh, for themselves and their families and so forth that they that they aspire to. I, I would I would note you correctly are concerned about the uh, humanitarian uh, uh, needs of the people of Burma, but of course money is fungible. Uh, and if we're going to put pressure on the financial resources that are going to the Burmese military, uh, their leadership, why that that could either be uh, suffered by the people or by the uh, the leaders themselves. But that's not going to be our choice. That will be their choice. And we'll have to make a decision as to whether we want to put in place those kinds of, of painful elements. H have we done anything? I mean, th they've been here before. 
the, the, the military has been in charge of this country before. Uh, they carried out genocide against the Rohingya before. Uh, and so they suffered uh, uh, sanctions before. They clearly expected that that would happen again. Uh, uh, so uh, what we're doing right now is not something they don't expect. Is there something we could be doing that they, that they, uh, uh, they really don't expect? That, that, that they, they say, holy cow, didn't, didn't think, see this coming? Or are we basically going by the same playbook and, and expecting a different result uh, than uh, uh, as a result of uh, doing the same thing we did before? Senator, thank you for that. Uh, you'll forgive me if I want to keep the military guessing by not uh, telegraphing what we might be planning to do. But I will say that uh, it, I would uh, suggest that what we're doing now is a little different from the past. Uh, we really appreciated uh, the intent of the sectoral sanctions like the Jade Act, uh, but uh, what these are doing now is really pinpointing the commander in chief, his family, his ruling circle. Uh, these are, are, are very carefully sort of uh, designed sanctions to put pressure on the commander in chief, to put pressure on his children, on his family, to make him realize that he has bitten off more than he can chew, that he is out of step with his own people, and that he needs to start looking for uh, alternatives to the current terrible situation. Yeah, I, I presume we've done that before, so he expected it, and uh, I, I don't imagine we've seen a change in behavior by virtue of what's been what's been done so far. Uh, why is it that the Chinese have not condemned this uh, this coup? I mean, are, are they trying to protect this hunter in some way, do you believe? Senator, um, I can't... Uh, uh, authoritatively ascribe uh, motivation to the Chinese, but I do think that we're motivated by a desire to support the people. Uh, I would guess that they are motivated by a desire for stability. They have profound strategic and economic interests in Burma. It's their back door to the Bay of Bengal for their remote interior uh, provinces. I think they care about stability more than anything. And while we've seen some cooperation with them in the UN Security Council, uh, which helped us get through two UN Security Council statements on Burma. Um, I think the, the Chinese are probably deeply anxious to see a return to stability so that they can keep uh, uh, preserving their strategic and economic interests, uh, which, uh, as I said, are compelling for them. Is there a worst case scenario where, in fact, uh, uh, it, it is not a stable country, but it, uh, it, it devolves into violence of some kind? Is that unlikely? or? Uh, because clearly, uh, if their interest is stability uh, with, uh, w without regard to the uh, human cost, uh, then, uh, then if there were a threat of instability, uh, a potential uh, a conflict of a military nature uh, amongst the people, a civil uh, unrest leading to conflict, that would be uh, something they'd be concerned about. Is that, is that not a, a, a downside or is, uh, or is the military in sufficient control that that would really not be an issue? I think we, look, diplomats are always, to an extent, uh, uh, believers in the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, things can always get worse, and therefore, we should always, in our actions, uh, try to ensure that we don't do further harm. Uh, there is always the possibility that things could get worse in Burma, that the situation could deteriorate. This is why we're working with uh, friends and partners in the region, uh, primarily in ASEAN, but also with Japan and Korea, with India, uh, and with European partners, um, Australia and others. Uh, we, and China. Uh, we want to make sure that we can try to avoid any further uh, degradation of the situation in Burma. We don't want to see any more humanitarian suffering than has already taken place. 
Uh, and we want to see how we can get more countries than, than just the United States to uh, try to get the, uh, the junta to see that the situation is untenable and that they have to recalculate and they have to talk to their own people and they have to talk uh, to the civilian elected leadership of Burma. Uh, and this is why I think we're in, engaged in constant conversations uh, because we work very hard to ensure that things don't get worse. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Ambassador. I think I've, I've, I've taken my time. I don't see a clock here. And, and uh, Mr. Chairman, you haven't told me how long we can go here, but I'll, I'll yield the, my time so that other members of our committee get a chance to ask a question. Operating on, I think we're operating under a, a, a kind of some kind of conscience clock in our brains uh, because it, it is difficult to know exactly how much time has elapsed. Uh, let me recognize Senator Schatz. Thank you, Mr. Chairman uh, and uh, ranking member and, and to our panel. Uh, thank you very much for, for doing this hearing. I want to talk to you about the press crackdown. The military has cracked down on press freedom since the coup on February 1st. It has suspended media, media licenses of five local outlets and its raided offices and assaulted journalists. Human rights observers estimate that at least 38 uh, journalists have been detained. What can we do to protect journalists and others who are reporting on the demonstrations. Uh, first, uh, for the ambassador. Well, uh, Senator Schatz, thank you very much for that question. It's extremely important. Look, the United States bats for freedom of speech and uh, media freedom and press freedom all around the world. And that's no different uh, in Burma. We've been very, very clear about this. I'd like to turn to my learned colleague, uh, Scott Busby, to talk a little bit more about media freedom since that's in the particular wheelhouse of his bureau. But we're doing everything we can to ensure uh, that our values are very clearly on display, uh, that the Burmese people know what those values are, and that journalists in Burma can always rely on the support of the United States. Thank you. Great. Mr. Busby. Uh, thank you, Senator. Thank you, Atul. As Atul indicated, we continue to uh, publicly uh, support uh, journalists uh, and message to the military that crackdowns on journalists are unacceptable. Specifically, our embassy has attended ongoing judicial proceedings uh, of detained journalists to shine a light on such cases. And I think that demonstrates concretely uh, the fact that we care about uh, these sorts of cases. Uh, we Thank have you. supported independent journalism in Burma for a long period of time and will continue to do so. Thank you. You know, Senator Young and I have a bill to establish an ambassador at large for press freedom uh, in the State Department. We look forward to working on a bipartisan basis uh, to try to enact that. I want to move on to Internet access. The military has tried to control uh, Internet access as part of the coup. Engineers were forced to turn off equipment and physically cut wires. Uh, Burma, like a lot of places, is different uh, than even a decade ago. In 2010, uh, fewer than 1% of the country had access to the Internet. Now uh, it's about 30%. It's just a function of everyday life. And so the military learned that it can't just turn the internet off. They're still blocking websites and limiting communications, but they're struggling in part because Burma is not walled off from the rest of the world. There are two aspects I, I wanna discuss here. The first is our response to foreign support of the telecom sector. In 2014, Burma opened up to outside competition. So now you have companies like Norway's state-owned Telenor and Vietnam state-owned uh, Viatel delivering service. Uh, so what can we do in terms of working with companies that have a stake in 
uh, Burma's telecom sector to ensure that they are not assisting in the coup by uh, um, providing technical support to blocking uh, websites. And I'll jump ball, whoever's more appropriate to answer that question. Would you permit me a general comment and then uh, defer to Scott for the detailed uh, sure. answer? The general comment, I think, is that the military is realizing that you're damned if you do and damned if you don't when it comes to a coup. Uh, if you block the Internet, you can constrain your people from communicating uh, and exchanging views, but you also starve the economy. And I think nations around the world have realized that if they maintain free and open access to the Internet, uh, it ensures an empowered, prosperous uh, and happy citizenry and contributes to democracy. Uh, and so they're trying to play this delicate juggling act. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, the proof is already there that the Burmese people have tasted what freedom and openness look like. And there's no no further proof needed than to see the, the people on the streets raising the, uh, the three-fingered salute uh, that uh, comes from the American teen fiction, The Hunger Games, uh, and from, you know, so many movies that they've seen. So uh, I think you've raised a, a compelling uh, question, Senator. And uh, let me turn it over to uh, Mr. Busby. Over. Uh, thanks, Atul, and thanks, Senator, for that very good question. Uh, uh, the State Department and DRL in particular have ongoing uh, connections uh, with tech companies. Uh, and in this case, we have been speaking with them uh, to seek to ensure the, uh, responsible behavior. Uh, as Atul mentioned, they're in a tough spot uh, because in order to operate, the Burmese government requires them to do certain things. So it's a delicate balancing act that they have to play. But we have been encouraging them, as we do in any situation like this, to abide by uh, human rights norms consistent with something called the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights. Uh, we don't believe that shutting down telecommunications will silence the voice of the people. Uh, nor will it prevent information uh, about what the junta is doing from getting out. So I think this is, again, a demonstration of how afraid the junta is of giving the Burmese people the opportun opportunity to uh, communicate freely uh, and to express their opinions freely. Uh, just one final comment for, for, the, for both the committee and, and the State Department and the international community as it works through these issues. Just to try to get some uh, granularity in terms of the, the various techniques of control uh, around communications, you know, snipping wires is one thing, limiting access, creating, you know, intranets rather than internets is another. And then there's the question of, of um, characterizing communications on social media platforms as terrorist or, or anti-government content. I mean, those are... Those are separate issues. Obviously, from the strategic standpoint, they may uh, be moving in the same direction. But I think we have to get better about understanding the various techniques and understanding that each technique requires uh, its own uh, discrete response within the overall strategy. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Senator Schatz. Um, Senator Johnson. Senator Johnson, are you there? Yeah, like that, or people have like those dreams that they like didn't make it in time. But one. Senator Johnson, you're recognized. 
say one time I actually did show this was during the middle of finals. Senator Johnson, I can see your name up on the screen. I'm just wondering if you are there. All right. Are there other senators seeking recognition? <laughs> I would suggest the absence of a body. I, I, I agree with you. And so I, I have a couple of more questions. Senator Romney, maybe you have a couple more and then we'll... Um, uh, thank this first panel for their um, uh, for their uh, uh, testimony. Uh, may I ask what what is the State Department doing right now in terms of planning uh, and coordination with other countries in the region uh, in the possibility that a large scale migration is going to occur, uh, leaving Burma, uh, creating a humanitarian an additional. Uh, humanitarian crisis, crisis in the region. So what, what is the administration doing right now uh, to prepare for that possibility? Uh, Senator, thank you very much. Um, we have a, a bureau, the Bureau of Population, Refugees and Migration, uh, that focuses on these issues and has received the tremendous generosity of the American people and the United States Congress over the years uh, in taking care of refugee populations all around the world. And I can say as the son of a refugee, uh, how much uh, America's leadership matters uh, in the world and how much America's compassion matters in the world. Uh, so we have a refugee coordinator uh, in uh, Bangkok, a regional refugee coordinator. Uh, he's very engaged. Uh, and um, I would say at the apex level, what we're trying to do uh, is uh, going to Senator Romney's uh, question, trying to ensure that the situation doesn't get worse. Uh, look, obviously, there are countries in the region that are that are experiencing uh, severe impact and already have uh, Bangladesh most prominently, but also Thailand, Malaysia and others. And so they have a great interest in what happens uh, in Burma. And so we are working with ASEAN. We're working with regional partners. Uh, there's a lot of, I think, diplomacy going on. You've seen the various statements by various ASEAN countries. I know that uh, Foreign Minister Retno Marsudi uh, has been traveling in the region, also Foreign Minister Vivian Balakrishnan, those of Indonesia and Singapore respectively. And uh, of course, Secretary Blinken asked right away uh, to talk uh, with um, the ASEAN counterparts uh, in a collective discussion. Uh, and we are awaiting a response from ASEAN. It is a consensus driven body, but I'm pleased to report to you that Secretary Blinken uh, right from the outset uh, uh, has engaged unilaterally, uh, bilaterally, I should say, uh, with all of, uh, with many of his counterparts in ASEAN and uh, beyond the region as well, uh, Japan, Korea, Europeans, uh, Five Eyes, uh, to discuss the situation in Burma. Uh, it's also come up in quad discussions. And so the issue here is to uh, ensure that we can try to avoid any further uh, precipitous decline in the situation that would create even further burden uh, on uh, the nations in the region and, and frankly, the world. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, Senator Romney, do you have any other questions? Yes, I do, thank you. A, a comment and perhaps a question, but uh, that is, uh, and I, I'm, I'm being perhaps somewhat cynical here, but I think realistic at the same time, which is I, I can't imagine that the military junta 
uh, proceeded down this road without having a great deal of confidence that China was not going to stop them. In many respects, I, I wouldn't be surprised to find that uh, that China is uh, encouraging or, or uh, behind the scenes encouraging uh, what's happened here. Perhaps China expects that the Maestone Dam is going to get reopened and they're going to get the power they would like or some other deal. And so they're going to pretend like they oppose, but they're not going to do things to really put pressure. Because give, given the extraordinary economic connection between uh, Burma and China, uh, if, if China were really going to close things down, why this thing would stop in a big hurry. And, and I, uh, I mean, you, you look at the situation of Venezuela, for instance, we put all this pressure on Maduro. Maduro would not still be there were it not for Cuba and Russia supporting him. And, and so I, I, I do think there's a very real possibility that, and probability that China is, uh, is uh, in, in some respects complicit in what we're seeing. And, and what that suggests to me is that we had to take advantage of, of communicating to the world that, that China is sleeping uh, as, uh, as people are weeping, if you will. Uh, China is engaged in a worldwide effort to say that the democracy doesn't work and that the world should adopt autocracy uh, and become autocratic, that that's a better way to go for the people. And they seem to be winning. The last 15 years, autocracies have been gaining, uh, democracies have been, have been declining. And, and I just think we need a very aggressive world effort, if you will, to, to, uh, uh, to let the world know what China's doing and to show what's happening by virtue of them turning a blind eye, at least, to what's happening to their neighbor and, and their largest, uh, Burma's largest trading partner. And uh, I don't know how, how we can go about doing that in a more effective way, but, you know, we, we can sell Coca-Cola around the world, right? We can market that uh, extraordinarily for a little bit of, car of, of uh, uh, caramel water. We can charge people a buck a can. Uh, you'd think that kind of marketing uh, know-how would allow us to communicate effectively throughout the world what we're seeing and perhaps turn enough public heat up on China that they might decide, hey, we better push back on these, these Burmese military folks. So I, I turned to the ambassador and Mr. Busby. Uh, any comments in that regard? Are we... Can, can we up our PR effort, our communications game throughout the region and thereby put a lot more pressure on China? Because my guess is there's almost no sanction that we're going to put in place that's going to change the Burmese, Burmese military uh, from the, the course they're on. But China has the capacity to do that. Maybe India to a lesser extent, but China certainly does. Uh, any thoughts about that? Senator, you've raised a profound set of issues. Uh, I would say that uh, from my service overseas as an ambassador uh, and in uh, the last two years serving uh, in the EAP Bureau as PDAS, uh, it is uh, abundantly clear, and I'm not stating anything you don't know, that the Chinese play a long game. And they play a long game in all of these countries. Uh, uh, and it, they have very clear uh, strategic and economic interests. And they are very pragmatic uh, in how they approach things. Uh, we will always stand up for values. We'll always stand up for American values. And I think that these young people uh, in Burma know what those values are. And so I think, uh, in a way, the U.S. government is selling our version of Coca-Cola, uh, to make your point. Uh, our values are very strong and very clear. And we see these folks in the streets every day risking their lives uh, to espouse these values. I'm extremely uh, impressed and inspired by them and their devotion to our values. I don't think our Chinese uh, uh, counterparts have that. Uh, we also have an unbeatable alliance network and partnerships all around the world. I don't think the Chinese have that. And so we too have to play a long game and have to have 
faith in our values, faith in our strengths, faith in our friendships and our alliances that we have built up over many decades of careful effort. And I am optimistic. We owe it to the little girl who was shot in her father's arms uh, by security forces in Burma a couple of days ago. We owe it to the young people who were shot, teenagers who were protesting in the streets for their rights. And so we're going to keep uh, work. You know, we will keep working at it. I think the EAP Bureau has tried very hard working with the broader State Department to shine a light on on the challenges that we face all around the world uh, with regard to uh, China's increasing assertiveness. And we'll keep at it, sir. Thank you, Mr. Busby. Any comment? Yeah, can I just add? As you know, Senator, the Biden administration has made a priority of working in coordination uh, with our partners around the world and pushing back on Chinese influence and pushing pushing back on Chinese abuses. And as you saw on Monday, for the first time, we announced coordinated sanctions uh, on uh, Chinese officials complicit in the abuses in Xinjiang. So there is a very concerted effort to work with our partners in pushing back on Chinese influence and advancing our values. Thank you. I, I just note that, that sanctions is one tool we can use, uh, but, uh, but publicity throughout the region is another tool we can use to put heat on China uh, and potentially to get them to, to uh, be dissuaded from their, their tacit uh, protection of the military junta. With that, Mr. Chairman, thank you. I appreciate this, uh, uh, this opportunity. Uh, so that that concludes our first uh, panel, and we we thank both of our witnesses for their service to our country and for your testimony here today. Uh, and now we're going to move on to the uh, second panel, and uh, and I'll note that the roll call has now gone off uh, up on the Senate floor. So both Senator Romney and I will have to vote at some point over the next uh, ten or fifteen minutes, uh, requiring us to. Uh, leave for at least a few minutes, uh, which will be my plan. And uh, perhaps uh, Senator Romney and I can swap the gavel back and forth just to make sure that we're both um, able to vote. Uh, and so let me begin then with our first witness on the second panel, uh, Tom Andrews, who is uh, the UN Special Rapporteur on the situation of human rights in Myanmar. He is a former member of the United States Congress representing the state of Maine. Uh, and a Rohingya senior, uh, a Robina a senior human rights fellow at Yale University Law School. Uh, and uh, we uh, just recognize the incredible amount of work on human rights that uh, uh, Congressman Andrews has done over the course of his career. So we welcome you, uh, Tom, whenever you're ready, please begin. Thank you very much, um, Mr. Chairman. Chairman Markey, ranking member Romney and distinguished committee members, Thank you for inviting me here today to discuss the crisis in Burma. Thank you for your strong opening statements and certainly thank you for your principal stand for the people of Burma. And for those following this hearing within Burma, I'd like to say Mingalaba. Mr. Chairman, as you recognize, Burma is now being controlled by a ruthless, brutal, illegal military hunter. You have already heard about the killings and the arbitrary detentions. This includes peaceful protesters being shot at point-blank range. Just yesterday, a seven-year-old girl who was shot and killed by Burmese security forces after they forced their way into her home in Mandalay. Credible reports indicate the junta has also tortured and killed numerous individuals while in custody. They have systematically destroyed legal protections from freedom of expression, assembly and association, 
to the right to privacy. They have given themselves the authority to invade people's homes without warning, criminalized any criticisms of the junta, even making it illegal to call the junta a junta, enabled sweeping surveillance authorities, decimated the free press, banned most trade unions, instituted nightly countrywide internet outages, and banned gatherings of more than five people. As distressing as these developments are, Mr. Chairman, the response of the people of Burma has been truly awe-inspiring. For nearly two months now, despite a brutal and relentless crackdown by the junta, millions of people all over the country have been engaging in peaceful and powerful protest, calling for justice, democracy, and the end to the violence and an end to the military. Buddhist monks are marching with Muslim clerics, healthcare workers, educators, bankers, construction workers, people from all walks of life, from every ethnicity and every age group are rising up in every corner of the country as a diverse yet powerfully unified group. A general strike was called just after the coup. It was heated by millions. And now the Nonviolent Civil Disobedience Movement, or CDM, is an effective, powerful, and growing movement drawing its organic power from the unflinching commitment of the people of Burma. Not knowing how to fight these weapons of peace, the junta has responded in much the same way it has for decades against ethnic groups throughout the country, with brutality and violence. Mr. Chairman, the courageous and tenacious people of Burma need our help. In the face of widespread and systematic murders, tortures, and disappearances, there is a growing pressure on the opposition leadership to defend the people of Burma by taking up arms against the Burmese military. I understand the pull to go down this path, but I believe that such a path would lead to a disastrous outcome for the people of Burma, with untold numbers of civilians caught in a protracted, bloody civil war. I also believe that there is another way, an alternative that could be both effective and save countless numbers of lives, but it will require a level of engagement, coordination, and exertion of leverage that has yet to emerge, an alternative that requires that the United States play an active leadership role. It includes the imposition of tough, focused, and coordinated sanctions that are capable of impeding the flow of funds to the hunter and demonstrate that its criminals, criminal acts will be met by meaningful retaliation. I applaud the administration's move announced today to include the hunter's major business conglomerates for sanctions. This is a very important step forward. And I encourage the administration to also sanction the oil and gas sector that provides the largest single source of revenue to the hunter for their criminal activity. This can be done without interrupting the flow of oil and gas to Burma and its neighbors through licensing measures by the U.S. Treasury Department. But what is critically important is that the administration work closely with our allies to coordinate international sanctions. So that taken together, their collective weight will deliver a powerful blow. This requires organization and outreach. What is also required, Mr. Chairman, is an imaginative, tenacious, and coordinated diplomatic approach that joins those who share common ground, be that based on common values or common interests together. To this end, I believe that an emergency summit on Burma should be organized as soon as possible that includes the representatives of the elected leadership of Burma, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN, and nations who are willing to step up and support such an initiative, particularly those from the region, and it should also include China, who has a powerful interest in avoiding a conflagration on its border. To be successful, this will require organization and leadership, a role that the United States is well positioned to help provide. Mr. Chairman, 
The people of Burma need to know that the people of the United States and the world are with them, not only in word, but in deed. That we are willing to establish strong coordinated pressure and forward leaning diplomatic engagement in support of the peaceful civil disobedience movement. And that this combined course of action, domestic peaceful resistance with international pressure and diplomatic momentum will have a powerful chance for success than taking up arms. Finally, Mr. Chairman, it is my sincere hope that the United States and the international community will rise to the occasion of this historic moment, that we will follow the lead and inspiration of the people of Burma, and that we will stand with and for them in support of their courageous struggle for justice, democracy, and their children's future. They deserve no less. Thank you, Mr. Chief. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Congressman Andrews, so much, and uh, thanks for all your great work. Uh, next, we're going to hear from Ambassador Kelly Curry, who served as U.S. Ambassador at Large for Global Women's Issues uh, and the U.S. Representative at the United Nations Commission for the Status of Women. Of women. Welcome, Ambassador. Thank you, Chairman Markey and Ranking Member Romney and the rest of the subcommittee for giving me this opportunity to appear before the committee today on this timely and important topic. With your permission, I'd like to enter my full remarks into the record and to note that I'm testifying in my personal capacity today. The past two months have been a heartbreaking and exhilarating time for the Burmese people at the same time. As other speakers have noted, this coup laid bare the dark heart of the Tatmadaw and showed us that after seven decades of dominating Burmese politics, the economy and society, they have not given up power or the will to it. Um, and that they that what they called their plan for a disciplined, flourishing democracy, which those of us who live in a democracy know is a great oxymoron, um, really was more about the discipline and less about the democracy. Um, the Burmese people have not have made it very clear they're not going to go back, however, to um, military rule. And they've, as everyone noted, effectively organized themselves to resist through a combination of street protests and this amazing civil disobedience CDM movement. If I had one word that I would use to describe this movement um, in all of its facets, it would be inclusive, which is both ahistorical for Burma as a tool, as um, uh, Ambassador Keshap noted, and essentially the diametric opposite of how the top Madaw thinks and operates. The young people, civil servants, factory workers who've been at the forefront of both the street protests and the CDM movement, um, and th they cut across class, geographic, um, ethnic, religious, and generational lines in a way that's totally unprecedented for Burma. Um, the ethnic nationalities and women who've also played critical roles as organizers and frontline leaders is also very different from what we've seen in the past. This, this has fomented an increased awareness among the Bama national, uh, the Bama nationality, the majority in the, that is primarily in the cities, and raised for them an awareness and empathy for the situation of ethnic minorities and other disadvantaged groups in Burmese society who have fared even worse than they have under military rule. And this has been one of the most important and I think under commented on facets of this resistance movement. And it's opened up some critical dialogues within Burmese society about the nature of the state and the nature of the nation and how um, and, and the things that had previously been dismissed as untimely 
or indelicate to talk about. So this has also been linked up with this technology explosion in Burma that has allowed these young people to connect not only with each other, but with regional um, partners and become part of what's called the Milk Tea Alliance with uh, Hong Kong and other activists who are similarly fighting against authoritarianism. So it's been a really remarkable time. But as we know, the Tamada has sharp teeth and they are bearing them now. They're, as their hold on the country has weakened, they've escalated the violence. Um, martial law is spreading across the major urban areas. Others have talked about the brutality and mentioned the, the, the seven-year-old girl who was shot while she was being held by her father. I would also call attention to the death um, and detention of two Muslim NLD local officials who apparently were tortured to death in some of them with some of the most medieval and horrific things we've, um, you know, I've ever seen in 25 years of working on human rights. Um, so some, but what's, what's been also interesting is the response from the NLD um, with most of the senior leadership in prison, the, um, the younger members have coalesced and worked together across these multi-ethnic and multi-dimensional um, assets, facets of this movement to form a united front. And that is also new. Um, I would, I want to quickly highlight before I run out of time, the three things that I think the international community should be focusing on in their response. Um, and there's more about this in my written testimony. The first is around recognition and legitimacy. Deny the hunt legitimacy and recognize the legitimacy of the democratic and, um, and, and independent movement that's taking place among the people. Second, cut off the money supply for the junta, as we've discussed in other, um, with other witnesses. And um, the, the oil and gas uh, is, is critical to that. And then third, we need to move a Security Council resolution. That is critical to be able to get an arms embargo in place. And that is when you talk about things that the hunt is not expecting to happen, that is at the top of the list. They believe China will continue to block it. Um, but really, we're just holding ourselves back from even pursuing it due to the fear of a veto threat. We should stop that right now and get working with the UK and others on changing that dynamic. With that, I'm happy to take your questions and get into some of the more get into some details on how we can move forward um, together with the Burmese people and align ourselves with them instead of their oppressors. Thank you. Good. Thank you, uh, Ambassador Curry, so much. Um, so let me begin by uh, asking uh, each of you about a sector that you both mentioned, oil and gas. You know, unfortunately, across the country, we can see. Uh, very frequently that the leaders of the country here, the army uh, in Burma, become very dependent upon these oil and gas revenues in, in some cozy relationship with uh, those industries. So uh, let me go to you first. Um, uh, Tom, what, what, what is your recommendation for um, what, we are, what we would call for in terms of a cutoff of those oil and gas revenues to the leaders of Burma? Well, thank you, Chairman Markey. Uh, you're exactly right. This is the single largest source of revenue flowing into the hands of this criminal enterprise. So I think it's critical that we that we cut it off. Now, I want to point out that over 440 organizations, civil society organizations from throughout Burma, have called for this to happen. They say that it's vitally important uh, for the revenue being flowed uh, into the hunter's hands from uh, oil and gas, particularly the Myanmar oil and gas enterprise, to be cut. Uh, Ambassador Ketchup said he was concerned about the impact on the people of Burma, and, and, and of course, we are all concerned about whatever steps we take and their impact on the people of Burma. 
The people of Burma want this. And the United States can apply these sanctions in such a way, using the Treasury Department's uh, licensing power, to make sure that the gas continues to flow, but that the revenue stream from, these ga from, from oil and gas to the junta stops. That's what we want. That can happen. And more importantly, that's what the people of Myanmar are demanding, including the elected leaders of, uh, of Myanmar. Okay, great. No, thank, you. thank you. No, let me let me come back over to you, uh, Ambassador Curry. Can you follow up on what uh, uh, Tom Andrews just uh, mentioned in terms of protecting against a uh, a humanitarian uh, consequence uh, as a result of cutting off oil and gas revenue? Well, a humanitarian disaster is already unfolding in Burma because the um, the people of the country are intentionally shutting down the economy themselves in order to punish the junta and cut off its internal streams of revenue and to resist it but, and to make the country essentially ungovernable. That is their whole strategy at the moment. So I think we should, you know, while we always want to avoid unintended consequences and do things that we can to try to um, maintain humanitarian pipelines, I believe that there are ways, as Tom has said, to, to do that in this situation. First of all, using the licensing um, capabilities that Treasury has and working with, there are only a few companies that are part of a joint venture with the Myanmar Oil and Gas Enterprise um, that's based in Thailand that is, um, that 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 provides most of the revenue and there are things that we can do that the companies themselves are at risk of breach of contract unless they are forced to do something different so the sanctions actually provide force majeure for them to suspend the normal payment um, normal payment stream and put it into an escrow account so that they continue to make contractually obligated payments while um, the, and that keeps the joint venture going. Um, the other thing that can be done is um, working with our partners in Thailand who are the other joint venture on this to make sure that, that the oil and gas continues to flow. Um, then it would be up to the junta if they decide to refuse um, refuse taking um, taking custody of the, of the oil and gas shipments, that's on them. Um, and there's nothing we can really do about that. But there are ways to do this. And then we also have to think about cross-border um, assistance in renewing um, old habits that we used to have with um, Burma, where we went around the government to provide assistance to the people in the past before right. 2010. So let, let me, th uh, uh, thank you, Ambassador. So let me just follow up quickly on that. Uh, the architect of the genocide against um, the Rohingya now is in charge of the country. Uh, and there are still 600,000 Rohingya inside of Burma. So let me go back to you again, Tom Andrews, and ask you what should we be doing uh, to ensure that uh, uh, that there's a, a coalition uh, of countries um, that is working to protect those 600,000 uh, who still remain inside of Burma? Well, thank you, Chairman Markey. You're exactly right. They're very vulnerable. We know just over the last year, 33 Rohingya have been killed. Uh, just, just this past year, this is since uh, the atrocity crimes committed in 2017. So you're exactly right. I think what needs to happen is a very tough, clear sanctions policy, but more importantly, on top of that, a coordinated, focused diplomatic initiative, an emergency summit that includes precisely that issue, but then all the issues, put them on the table and have those with an interest in moving forward move together. Okay, thank you. Um, let me let me turn and uh, uh, recognize Senator Romney. 
Mr. Chairman, and I would note that I have voted. Uh, so uh, if you need to run and vote, <laughs> I'm in my hideaway, so I was able to vote quickly. Uh, if you need to run and vote, you're, you feel free to do so. Uh, uh, but uh, but I'll be here asking some questions and turn to yeah, other members if, if they're here. Please continue. I know I've, 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 I've done the same sprint that you have, so I'm all set too. Thank you. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, just a couple of things, which, which is uh, to, to both of you, Ambassador and, and Congressman Andrews, uh, uh, how, um, how is the, the sanction um, system you're describing uh, different than what we've done in the past when this military uh, was running the country and we were uh, protesting the, the uh, genocide against the Rohingya? Uh, how is what you're describing uh, different than what we've done before, which did not yield a, a change in result? I, and I, I note that because we put in place crippling sanctions, for instance, on Venezuela, as we uh, discussed with the last panel, and yet uh, Maduro is still there. And, and you know, we put crippling sanctions on Iran, and yet the leadership is still there. And, and so, I, I, first, how is this different than the past? And number two, uh, do you think we can uh, we can uh, carry out a change of behavior without getting China to also participate? Um, if I'll, I can go ahead and take that first, um, I think that first of all, actually, the sanctions before did have an effect because I, there um, is a lot of uh, the literature that says that the changes that took place in 2008 and 2010 were as a result of the isolation that the junta felt and that they had become overly dependent in their own view uh, on China and did not and were not comfortable with that. There's no love lost between the Tatmada and Beijing at all. Quite frankly, they're they're actually not really very good friends. Um, it's very transactional and and about mutual and about you know about transactions and benefits, but not about any sense of brotherhood or friendship. Um, so they wanted to be able to have more engagement with the West, and that's why they did a lot of the things they did between 2008 and 2012, which led to the lifting of sanctions, which they stated very explicitly was something that they wanted and needed to happen. They wanted Western engagement. So I think that they do feel it. Um, they can go for a long time, though. I, I, they did show that. What we're doing differently this time is that it is more targeted, as um, Atulka Shop mentioned, and we are we have a lot more um, information about how the economy works and how they how we can actually go after specific nodes within the economy that harm the junta more than they harm the people. I think also here we have a very clear demonstration from the Burmese people that they want these sanctions. It's very plain, um, and so I think that you're right. We do need China to cooperate. China is in a very difficult position right now because they have a lot of assets on the ground that they are defending through the Belt and Road and the China-Myanmar Economic Compact that they've negotiated. And they have strategic interests in Burma that they need to protect. And they had they had benefited from the past 10 years, um, uh, the past arrangement of the past 10 years as well. And so they're not entirely happy about what's going on and all the instability but not enough to get off the fence right now and get out of their usual non-interference mode. Thank you. Uh, Tom? Yes, Senator, let me just say, I think that Ambassador Curry is exactly right. And sanctions can work, focused, targeted sanctions. That's what we're calling for. That's what the people of Myanmar are calling for. But you're right, sanctions alone is not going to work. We have to combine sanctions with a very public, very visible diplomatic effort. Uh, Indonesia and Malaysia have both called for an emergency summit on Myanmar. 
Uh, China has uh, expressed its concern about what's going on. They say this is exactly not what we want. Uh, they say that they want to see the release of political uh, prisoners in Myanmar. They have a great deal of interest in seeing a resolution uh, to the crisis uh, in Myanmar. So I think there are many players here, many countries in, in the region and beyond the region that have a stake in this or care deeply about the principles and values that are at stake here, who would want to cooperate and come together. But it's going to require organization and coordination. We have a hodgepodge of sanctions, a hodgepodge of, uh, of, of arms embargoes. They have to work in coordinated as a coordinated, powerful whole, and they're not. So I would strongly urge that we organize, as, a, as a, the United States organized, that is, this coordinated effort, along with our allies in the region, so that we can see the kind of results that I think are possible. Thank you so much. I, I'm just going to ask one more question, and that is, uh, I, I think, to Ambassador Curie, and that, that is, uh, you, you made the point that we, we worry about a Security Council vote uh, because China might, uh, might veto it. Um, and, and I'm interested, perhaps you're elaborating on, on why that should worry us. I, I can think of some reasons why we might not want that. Uh, we may want, for instance, China to participate in this kind of gathering of, 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 uh, of global effort. And if we embarrass them somehow at the UN, why they may not want to be part of that. But, but I'm interested in your thoughts and, because I'm, that's one side. The other side might be that, that we want them to be embarrassed. We're, you know, we'll let them uh, stand up and veto uh, a, a resolution at the Security Council so that we can communicate throughout the region that, that China is, is complicit with the outrageous abuses which the the entire region is watching in in, uh, in Burma, but but uh, so Ambassador uh, and, and and Tom certainly interested in your thought as well. But uh, why not proceed with a uh, Security Council resolution and and see how China responds? Thank you, Senator, for the question. I actually believe we should have done one um, immediately and we should have, instead of um, messing around with statements that the junta clearly disregarded and actually escalated violence immediately after to Security Council statements, I think that the UK, which is the traditional pen holder, should have moved forward immediately. But there's this fiction within the Security Council that we all need to speak with one voice on Burma and you know all the P5 especially. Um, what this has allowed China and Russia to do is hold the council hostage on Burma. It, they did it in 2017 after the genocide of the Rohingya, and they've been doing it ever since. And the problem is that when, when this goes on like this, China doesn't pay any meaningful costs for refusing to um, do the right thing here. Our options are constrained, but China's outcome neutral on what kind of government there is in Burma. They'll deal with anybody. They don't care if they commit genocide. They're committing genocide themselves. So why would they care if the junta is? Um, so there's, but as long as they don't have to make a choice and don't have to take a stand, they're getting away with doing this scot-free. As long as they can keep everything in the back room, negotiate statements and not have to publicly stand up and say, yeah, we're gonna stand with these guys, these genocidal coup plotters, that's our team. As long as they don't have to do that, they're getting away with this and the costs are relatively nothing for them. Um, but they do have strategic interests. The people on the ground are getting angrier and angrier at China. Um, there's been violence against Chinese factories, debatable about who, who instigated it. But the Chinese don't want to be in a position where everybody, especially the younger generation of the Burmese people, hate their guts, which is currently the direction that they're headed in.
Thank you. Congressman? Yes, Senator, I, there's no question that the Security Council should act. And the, uh, the, the benefits of that are, are many, but it includes the coordination that I'm talking about could be done in the Security Council. And account, accountability measures could also be established through the Security Council. So that's definitely what we should be moving toward. But in the meantime, as we do this, we can also work together with those countries who are willing to put forward sanctions and accountability mechanisms. We have an opportunity to move them together and in a coordinated fashion, move an emergency summit forward. So I say, let's do both. Let's move forward with the Security Council, but let's also work together with our ASEAN friends and other nations of the world to coordinate sanctions and accountability mechanisms that are available right now. Thank you very much. Appreciate uh, the testimony that both of you provided. Mr. Chairman, I yield to you. Okay, thank you so much. And uh, I now turn to recognize Senator Merkley from Oregon. Uh, greetings, everyone. And I'm, I'm sorry that other conflicts prevented me from, from being here at the beginning. As you know, I have a deep interest in, in what happens in Burma after the uh, genocidal activity against the Rohingya. I led a delegation. Senator Durbin came with me. A number of House members came uh, to follow up on Aung San Suu Kyi's uh, statement that she had nothing to hide, the country had nothing to hide, and of course they had a lot to hide, and just the, the day before we left, uh, they canceled our ability to to visit the affected villages. We still did see quite a lot, uh, though, uh, and uh, all of it was disturbing, and including going to the refugee camps in, in Bangladesh. Uh, so the questions I'm about to ask may have been already answered, and my apologies, and you can give brief answers, and I'll follow up. Uh, with my team to get more information. But I was delighted to see the Biden administration expand sanctions to include the military-owned enterprises, specifically the Myanmar Economic Corporation and the Myanmar Economic Holdings Limited uh, today. And But another piece of the puzzle is the Myanmar oil and gas enterprise. Uh, and while I realize that our, our witnesses in the second panel are not representing the administration, I want to get their opinion on whether the Biden administration should ensure that companies like Chevron do not make payments of royalties and other revenues uh, to the Myanmar oil and gas enterprise and instead make those payments into protected accounts until there is a democratically elected government restored. Well, Senator Murphy, let me just say, first of all, it's wonderful to see you, and I, I want to recognize and thank you for your strong, strong leadership for human rights and justice uh, in, in, in Burma. Uh, and an answer to your question, an emphatic yes. We have discussed it. Uh, uh, Chairman, uh, the chairman has brought this up uh, already, and we've talked about it extensively. I think that it can be done, that it should be done, and it can be done in such a way that it does not impact uh, the people of, uh, of, of, of Myanmar, and that's through the Treasury, Treasury Department. But Senator Markey and, and, uh, and, and others have expressed their, their concern and questions about this very subject. Great. Uh, thank, thank you very much. And, and uh, Ms. Curry, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Uh, sure, it's wonderful to be in, in front of you today and not facing confirmation, I will say that. 
Um, and so I, I am happy to be able to say an unreserved yes, we should be moving forward expeditiously with sanctions on MOGE and moving forward with um, the, the companies that are involved in the joint venture to ensure that the payments, and not just not just through sanctions, but also we should be using um, money laundering and other laws of general application that can be used to target not just oil and gas, but other extractive industry revenue streams that are um, coming in and out of the country. And, and those can be, we can do those right away with Singaporean banks and with others who, where the, um, the external dollar accounts are being held by the junta. You know, I'm thinking back to that that time when uh, the uh, genocidal activities occurred against the Rohingya, and of course, it was part of a series of activities, and there were also other actions against other ethnic groups. So I don't want to ignore those, but the the massive action against the Rohingya and and just the cultivation of hate against them for so many years, and going back to the the mid '60s with the first military coup, they became the the, the target and were steadily deprived of uh, documentation to be legitimate members of society and, and squeezed into uh, quarters to visit the uh, Sitway Muslim quarter is to have chills go down your, your spine about a, a Muslim community that is not allowed to leave the boundaries of a certain set of square blocks. It has echoes of um, German enterprises in the 30s and 40s against the Jews. And that people can't even leave that to go to the nearby hospital. They have to to get permission to go outside of, of Sitway uh, to a rural uh, clinic to get a reference to come back to the city and get to a hospital. Getting teachers in and out was very hard. And they were only surviving because of the um, repatriated uh, funds uh, uh, from the diaspora. Uh, the Rohingya diaspora, primarily from Canada, because of our own restrictions on funds going to Muslim organizations. Uh, the, um, but when I think about that, I thought the moment that we failed to take a strong, strong stand, we did so little uh, during the, the Trump years. Um, we didn't declare it a genocide. We didn't immediately lead the, the world in, in action or response. Uh, it was uh, uh, here in the Senate. Uh, uh, difficult because the uh, majority leader at that moment, uh, our now minority leader, uh, felt that uh, uh, he wanted to de defend Aung San Suu Kyi from, from criticism, so the Senate didn't act, the executive didn't act. Um, I still think we don't, I don't think we yet got from our State Department under the new administration a genocide declaration. and. Um, do you all feel that that is uh, merited and should come forthwith? Uh, well, I can yeah, go ahead, Tom. Senator, let me let me say first of all that there's a lot that should have been done that could have been done, and let me tell you right now that there are the 600,000 Rohingya citizens living in Rakhine State uh, in in Burma. Uh, they're in danger, and among them there are over 130. Uh, that are living in internment camps. Uh, they called IDP camps, but they're internment camps, really. Yes. Surrounded, sur surrounded by military. They, 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 they're living in horrible conditions. I know you've seen them. I've been there. Those conditions have not improved or changed. And even those outside of those camps are living in villages that are surrounded 
by the military and their movements are severely restricted. They can't leave their village without express permission by the military. That continues today. And as Chairman Markey said at the outset, the very, the very leadership that was responsible for those mass atrocity crimes in 2017, those genocidal attacks, those very same leaders uh, are now in control of the country. So we need to have a very aggressive, strong, principle stand, and not just words, but action that can mobilize the, the region and the world with us to put maximum pressure on uh, this, this junta and, and save uh, these people who are in great jeopardy and also save those throughout the country, the 54 million uh, Burmese citizens who are also in great jeopardy right now. Uh, Tom, uh, it's so true. And, and uh, part of the challenge with repatriation is if there, people were repatriated, they'd be repatriated to so-called what the Burmese call model villages, which means internment camps. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Ambassador? Yes. So thank you um, for your your consistent and outspoken advocacy on this issue. As you know, this is something that um, there was a lot of discussion internally within the administration and a very fierce debate about. And I, you know, personally, I advocated very strongly for action. And at times we were able to get certain things to move, such as the sanctions on Men Online and so when and the senior leadership um, where the United States was the only country um, prior, in 2019 to have um, sanctioned the senior military leadership in response to the ethnic cleansing and the atrocities, um, which I believe were a genocide and, and crimes against humanity in Rakhine State and against the Rohingya. So I think that we um, and and it it is it was deeply frustrating. It continues to be deeply frustrating that we failed as a as a community, um, as as an international community, to respond effectively. Um, I watched it unfold in the UN and the Security Council every day um, from August 2017 until the day I left at the end of um, 2018. The 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 incredible failure of the response to these horrific atrocities. And there's no other word for it. It was a collective failure on all of our part. And it was um, in large part due to this tension that you highlight about wanting to protect, to quote, protect this democratic transition that was never, again, really a, a democratic transition. It was at a degree of civilianization, as I mentioned before. Um, but it, and, and to, to protect that process while um, and, and trying to balance those concerns and also within the United States government, certainly concerns about pushing Burma closer to China were also very prevalent as a as a as a competing policy imperative that was used to kind of argue the the issues about what is the foreign policy objective here. So and I you know, I, I don't know the degree, I'm not involved in the current discussions, but I know that a lot of the work has been done and, and should the, the, um, the administration seek a determination, the, the work has been done for them to be able to do that. Uh, what is the most remarkable thing though that I'm seeing and which I think is very hopeful 
Um, because if you do want people to return to something other than a, a horrific um, situation inside the country, the issues around identity and security for the Rohingya need to be addressed. And we're seeing that actually happening within the movement against the coup. And, and it's really kind of remarkable, some of the conversations that I've seen, the degree of empathy, the willingness to call um, the Rohingya by their right name to acknowledge what happened to them by members of the NLD, by members of the committee representing the Pidong Sufutal, which is the kind of interim government that the NLD formed, um, and, and a real openness to talk about these issues that is is not the has not been the case for the past four years. And that is the basis on which um, sustainable, safe, voluntary returns are going to be possible is addressing these root causes of second-class citizenship and systemic racism within Burmese society and the, the thwarted state and nation building policy process that has been interrupted by 70 years of military rule, almost as you know, since the 60s during the first, from the first time they went launched a coup in 1962 until today burma has not developed a national identity rooted in anything other than bama buddhist chauvinism um and and a unitary military mindset and they you know we're it's 2021 we've got a this country's got to build a different it's a multi-ethnic multi-confessional country that's not a, a an appropriate fit and so the focus on federal democracy the focus on addressing on accountability issues within the, the anti-coup movement has been really remarkable. And it's one of the most important things that's happening. And it's Just, so you. unusual. Okay, thank you, Ambassador. Thank you, Ambassador. Thank you very much, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Ambassador. Uh, if I may, um, just ask a couple more questions. You may as well uh, have a few more questions, um, Senator Romney and you know uh, Senator Merkley. Can, if I would, if I could, I'd just like to come back to the Security Council uh, because obviously the Chinese have business interests. They're the largest single outside business interest inside uh, Burma. Uh, and uh, the Burmese army has um, a business interests. So what we have essentially is the Chinese Army Business Corporation doing business with the Burma uh, uh, Corporation run by the army. So it's just two armies uh, that have uh, business interests. So in going to the uh, Security Council, we'd be able to put a spotlight on that. Why, why is China trying to veto a Security Council resolution? Could you, could you talk about that, Tom, in, in terms of our ability to just spotlight what this corrupt uh, relationship uh, actually means for the ordinary people inside of uh, Burma? Well, Mr. Chairman, I think it's important to move this forward in the Security Council because that's the proper venue uh, for this. Now, of course, uh, as the ambassador said, there's, there's been reluctance uh, to move measures that won't have complete consensus uh, among the members of the Security Council. There's always concern about, uh, about vetoes, uh, always when we talk about these sensitive issues. But I think it's worth putting it forward. I think it's worth having an honest and open debate I think it's important for nations to step up and be counted one, one way or, the, or another. Uh, listen, there's just too much at stake in this country, uh, too much suffering going on right now, too many lives that could be lost uh, very, very soon. 
unless strong action is not taken by the international community and the Security Council. This is a security issue, if I've ever seen one. And it demands the attention of the world at the highest levels. But as we move forward, let's simultaneously not hold back with the excuse, well, that's up for the Security Council, nothing for us to do unless they move. Let's ourselves move with the region and all of those who are willing to work with us in coordinated sanctions, arms embargo, and other measures that will put the pressure on where it's needed. Okay, thank you. Back, back, back to you, Ambassador. Um, if you could just expand a little bit uh, on um, this identification of the Chinese army business interests just partnering with the Burmese army business interests uh, and, uh, and using the Security Council as a way of spotlighting that and, you know, and the arms embargo as well. Um, sure, China does provide a substantial number of arms to Burma, but actually Russia is a bigger arms supplier to the Tatmadaw than than China and has um, so actually that is the basis under which people believe that Russia would veto the um, veto a Security Council resolution is because of their arms sales interests with China or I'm sorry with Burma, but that they would not do it on their own if China were to um, abstain. Uh, that is kind of the thinking about this. The reason that the Chinese do threaten, um, have threatened a veto on Burma is because they see this as an internal affair and China is very rigid about, um, well, they are very hypocritical, but uh, very rigid in, in saying that the Security Council should not be involved in matters that are the internal affairs of countries. As you point out though, uh, or as Tom pointed out correctly, this is now a matter of international peace and security and coups have been recognized by the Security Council in the past as matters of international peace and security. So there is full justification for the Security Council to act here. China is acting in a very narrowly interested way. However, their business interests are go far beyond the military. It's part of the Belt and Road. And this has really become tied up in Xi Jinping's personal prestige. Um, the, the situation of the China-Myanmar economic corridor, corridor is part of the Belt and Road and is a key link to the um, to the Indian Ocean through the Bay of Bengal, and there are, so there are serious security interests here. When these um, projects have been taking place within the past four years, past five years of the NLD government, China has relied on the NLD to provide cover um, and Aung San Suu Kyi to provide cover for its economic exploitative projects in Burma. Without her there, these projects become much more tenuous and they will continue to um, invoke public antipathy and, and protest. And just as you've seen the people fighting against the, the military junta through um, non-cooperation, they've also threatened the viability of Chinese projects in, in Myanmar um, if, if this junta continues. So there are a lot of um, pieces here that I don't think we should assume a Chinese veto because they do have interest in not having this coup continue and certainly in having, um, not having the Burmese people despise them, which is what would happen if they were to veto a resolution. Do you agree um, with that? Do you agree with, do you agree with that, Tom? Uh, I think, yes, I think China has a lot of, of interest in moving this forward. I think that the anti-Chinese views and feelings among the people of Myanmar, uh, is, it's dangerous, uh, and it's not in the interest of, of China, or really Russia, uh, to stand in the way of the Security Council uh, moving forward, and I, and I certainly hope they won't stand in the way. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Thanks to both of you. Senator Romney.
Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I've asked my questions and appreciate the, uh, the, the testimony that we've heard from uh, both the Congressman and the Ambassador. Thank you. Beautiful. Uh, Senator Berkeley, do you have any other questions? Uh, yes, thank you. I just wanted to ask, do you feel our, our failure to mount an aggressive response to the attack on the Rohingya contributed to the military thinking that it could get away with this type of uh, military coup, restoration of military power? Unquestionably, yes. I see, Tom, you're shaking your head yes. Yes, yes, Senator, I, you know, I, I think yes. I think that the, there's a lot of lessons that need to be learned here. And one of them is, is that the United States, the world, has to work together forcefully, aggressively, and creatively to address these just massive violations of, of human rights and justice. And, and, and certainly that existed in 2017, needless to say. But it's before our very eyes right now. So this is happening just before our eyes. We need to take strong action. You know, I think it sent a message not only to the military in Burma, but to would-be dictators around the world that there was space for them to become more authoritarian. And yeah. uh, that's why responding to these situations that they rise is, is so, so important to be consistent and, and aggressive and, and firm for people to know in advance. There are, there are going to be substantial world consequences uh, uh, to, uh, to such, uh, such actions. Well, I, I don't have any more questions for you all now, but I really want to thank you all uh, for the insights you've, you've brought to the, the committee, uh, for your, your advocacy, and, um, and uh, I hope we can uh, really help turn the world back in the direction of governments uh, that work for the people uh, from a citizen up strategy rather than an authoritarian down strategy that that China is championing. Uh, thank you all very much. Thank you, Senator. Great. Thank you. Uh, so uh, thank you. Um, uh, thank you to all the senators. Thank you, uh, Senator Romney, for our first hearing. Uh, it will be one of many. Clearly, we have a, a East Asia subcommittee here, but uh, we just call it the China subcommittee as it affects everyone else in East Asia. Uh, and unfortunately, it is in most instances uh, negatively. So, uh, so this is the first of our hearings. Uh, there'll be many more, and we thank our great witnesses today from uh, from beginning to end. You've been extremely helpful to us. Uh, and for the information of the members, the record will remain open until the close of business on Monday, March 29th, including for members to submit questions for. The record. So uh, this hearing is now adjourned with the thanks uh, of the subcommittee. Thank you. Thank you.